2: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work as an executive advisor, a speaker, a coach, an author of an award-winning book series focused on helping leaders innovate how they lead and of course run Metcalf & Associates. I also work as a faculty of universities in the US and Germany. Today, I'm delighted that we are going to feature Jim Ritchie Dunham and Dan Michalko, they're both returning guests. Jim is the presidency of Vibrancy Incorporated. He's also an adjunct Harvard researcher and the president of the Institute for Strategic Clarity, which is a nonprofit organization that certifies people in applying the vibrancy frameworks that we're going to be talking about. Jim teaches internationally in top universities. Our second guest is Dan Michalko, who describes his professional career as a bizarre, convoluted professional life that's taken him everywhere from a short stint at NASA to a long ride in radio, with experiences often overlapping, and what he would say is he enjoys being busy. So what's the thread through all of this? It's a mix of management, creative concepts, and audio, implementing new communication technologies, listener analytics creative creativity fostering and consulting teaching and writing so dan works with young kids i often see him in costumes he'll show up to a board meeting in a cape or it's it's called cosplay (laughs) it's not costume so (laughs) and these are in service of teaching young folks about writing and working in theater So uh, we have a, a rather eclectic group. The theme for me in this show specifically is we implemented the vibrancy framework at WCBE that Dan serves as a general manager for, and our vibrancy scores were high. WCBE is part of the Columbus City Schools who has undergone some challenges recently, and we would assume their vibrancy scores are not high. So for me, the, the point of the interview is really to talk about how do we create po- pockets or pods of vibrancy in organizations that aren't? It, and why this is re- has been really important to me is as we look at transforming our culture and our organizations For many of us who work in large organizations, if we can't do stepwise transformations in small groups, we're kind of doomed to have to leave and find someplace, a new home that's good. When the opposite is actually the opportunity that we can create vibrancy in small groups. So that's my objective for our discussion today, talking to Jim about the framework and how do we create vibrancy, and talking to Dan about what he's actually done in this radio station where we are recording. So, so the show, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, was designed to help us look at, during this time of dramatic change, how do we create, update our leadership And also create organizations that thrive in a very dynamic and changing environment. And this framework and these two men specifically, I think, are maybe hardwired to do that. This is what they do without, they don't have a choice. So they seem like the perfect guests for us to explore this idea of living in a time of fluidity. They thrive in it. They create constructs that help us move through it and they create environments where people thrive that in other settings they would not be thriving. It's because of the frameworks that Jim's created and the work that Stan's doing that allows folks to be exceptional in this environment. So, Jim, let's shift to you. Tell our little listeners a little bit more about ecosonomics and vibrancy. And I realize some people have heard this before and others have not. So, if you can give us a little bit of background.
3: Wonderful. Well, it's great to be in this conversation with the two of you and with your listeners. The ecosonomics the word, um, the etymology of the word, I keep telling that kind of stuff, is what are the principles of relationship together or the rules of relationship together or the principles of collaboration? And what we found over the last few years, my colleagues and I and a dozen countries, that we've been coming across these groups of people that seem to be doing extraordinary things and having these great experiences of being highly engaged um, I mean, getting great results and being very resilient to whatever life throws at them much more so than their colleagues in the industry or geography where they live. And the question became, what is it that they're doing that's so different? And we started to discover that there was something that was fundamentally different about these groups that were consistently um, great places to be and having these great impacts and very resilient in their ability to deliver that impact. And... Um, And in doing that, we discovered that they have a a very different set of agreements than the rest of us. meaning that how they interact or structures or processes are completely different. And coming from teaching in a business school or business schools and public school of public administration, I realized that they weren't doing anything that we were telling them they should do to be really good and that they were doing something completely different. And what we sort of untangled from all that is that they were doing something that was coming from an assumption of abundance versus coming from scarcity. And it turns out that as you start playing with that, it leads you to a completely different assumption around how to look at the world. And um, one of the ways that we found these groups is through what you described in the Vibrancy. It's a term that sounds a little boo-boo, but it comes from people's description of their experience of great groups versus groups that are really fatiguing and disengaging. And they say they're just a bitter vibe. There's something in that group that makes me better. And so very briefly, what we've discovered, and now over 3,000 surveys from 95 countries, Um, responses to our survey um, and many different kinds of organizations that we visited, a hundred of them in a dozen different countries over the last decade, is this consistency in the experience. And by high vibrancy, we mean more of the self shows up. So it's self, other group, nature, and spirit, we hear over and over again. More of the self, me, shows up when I'm in the more vibrant groups that I'm more respected and respectful of as part of the other, another human being. And the contributions we each uniquely make to the voice of the whole. So we each brings something that's unique in, in our gifts in and our contribution that's significant. And we do this in a way that respects the, uh, the processes of seeing something, a potential in something, and a pathway to manifesting that. So we're always working across potential and development or, or how things change over time and the outcome and we're looking for creativity everywhere in doing that versus none of that shows up. And that became a distinguishing factor amongst these high vibrancy groups, um, these, these high performers, these ones that can achieve this high impact in, in a resilient way and ones that don't. So to sort of summarize all that, now afterwards it seems sort of obvious if you do everything that you can in your own agreements, your own structures and processes to shut down people so that they don't bring any of their creativity, they're not even sure why they're in the room and they don't know why anybody else is in the room, and we have to do things by the way we've been told to by the book,
1: then not very much
3: creativity shows up. We don't get nearly the impact that we could, and we're not nearly as resilient to changes in the environment as we could be if all of that shows up. So that's what we call the high vibrancy, and we found um, hundreds of groups ourselves um, we've identified at least 20,000 very well-documented cases of this and believe there must be hundreds of thousands, so we're now out in our research and our practice to find them, learn with them, and connect them so that the rest of us can see does life look like if you're operating this way, the way we all want to live, not the way that we are as disengaged um, and not very happy about what we're doing. So that's sort of in a nutshell. Um, the framework and what we've seen and the experience of
2: that. So in in building on Jim and his quest to find organizations that are doing that, the organization that Dan runs, WCBE, is one of those organizations. So the intent of this interview is really to talk about what's happening here that makes CBE a vibrant organization, especially again in the context of a larger bureaucratic organization that through many circumstances would probably not be described as vibrant. So let's start, Dan, with you and what kind of challenges are you facing at WCBE?
4: The biggest challenge we're facing is, excuse me, media. The way people are listening to us right now Mm -hmm. via podcasts, the fact that you can do on-demand listening. Um, that the internet makes programming available outside my listening area. Things like that, the way society and technology are changing are really the biggest challenge from a big picture perspective, Mm -hmm. not just for WCBE, but for any traditional broadcast outlet, whether it's radio or television. For WCBE specifically, we get a little myopic in being able to address those big picture items because we are part of a very large bureaucracy. We, as a media outlet, have to, as I put it to the staff, move fast and break things. You Mm -hmm. know, we have an idea, let's explore it, let's get it out there, let's test it with listeners, see what's gonna happen, and do it all in a week, you know. Um, Whereas our bureaucracy moves ponderously slowly. Compounding with that is the fact that it is a school district, and A lot of its core policies, which are great for a school district, Mm -hmm. are arsenic to a radio outlet. They're just incompatible. So the day-to-day challenge is not the big picture for the industry, it's Mm -hmm. how we interface with our larger bureaucracy.
2: And and I think that's an important point that often the lack of vibrancy is misalignment of units within a larger organization. Mm -hmm my IT shop and an, an insurance company could be m- have a different set of objectives we certainly want to support the overall health of the enterprise but we may need something different yeah the radio station as part of the school district beautiful as it was launched how many years ago the radio station 1956 so almost mm-hmm. 60 years and so the purpose of the complexion of radio obviously (laughs) changed dramatically and the school district has changed Mm -hmm. the the challenges they face are different and so we've got parts of an organization that move at different paces and respond to different external forces so so it's not that there's a good and bad it's that often we just shift and something that was initially aligned is not
4: and I try to point that Uh, out both in my dealings with officials from the school district and with my own staff, that there is nothing inherently evil you know, right, in anything right. that we're facing. It, it is just a clash of how our two industries operate. Mm-hmm. And over the 60 years, as radio has changed and education has changed and we've really diverged, the corporate cultures, the very heart of how we operate and need to operate and view our work has diverged tremendously. From the way a large urban school district needs to operate and work and see its main goals and pursue them.
2: So, how have you used your understanding of vibrancy to improve the station during this big change in the industry and also some changes that districts are experiencing?
4: Oh, it's kind of like the, the you know British attitude, you know, stiff upper lip, old man. You know,
2: <laughs> um,
4: it, it really is a large part of that. It's attitude. Okay. It's hope. It's realizing, okay, look, we have to operate within our own environment. And as long as we make sure we don't we don't create an antagonistic relationship mm-hmm. with the rest of our organization, with that bureaucracy, we will be able to accomplish our goals. We will be able to operate on a day-to-day basis the way you as a DJ, the way you as a journalist, as a morning news person, the way you as the membership director... You know mm-hmm. whatever the individual components of the radio station are, you operate the way you need to operate. You move fast and break things. You innovate. You create. I will take care of interfacing with the bureaucracy.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: That's one advantage to institutional knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. I've been at the radio station for a generation. I've seen a lot of administrations
2: generation. Scale. That's a decade.
4: Twenty years. Two decades. Wow. Um, and. We, over that time, have gone through, seen a lot of policy, Mm -hmm. procedure, Mm -hmm. how things Mm -hmm. change, a lot of different board of education members. That institutional knowledge helps me interface with downtown. I'm also a diehard educator. I've got that background, too, Mm -hmm. as you pointed out in the intro. I'd like to teach writing and creativity to kids. So I also understand what the needs of our licensee are, of our bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I kind of operate as the translator, the catalyst the interface Mm -hmm. between those two organizations. Now what helps tremendously internally is because I deal with creativity, I've grown up with artists Mm -hmm. so much and Mm -hmm. innovators and scientists on the cutting edge of research. I've understood the role of imagination and it plays really well. Creativity, we, we all are hungering to be more creative and I think Part of the problem is we're allowed to be as creative and imaginative as we want as toddlers. And then every year from that point on, as we're going through school, that play, that imagination goes away and just you can parallel with recess, you know, and how recess cuts back as you go through each evolution of your school career. Um, I I don't agree with that, that attitude that we have of cutting back on the creativity and the imagination. I want to foster that. That's where innovation comes from. And that's how I kind of came out the back door to ecosonomics to where Jim was. When mm-hmm. I first read Ecosynomics, when that was introduced to me, it resonated so well because Jim was codifying what I had been feeling, what I had been experiencing mm-hmm. as I grew in my leadership roles, what I was able to implement. And that basically, it really boils down to the culture of abundance versus the culture of scarcity. Um, dealing with creativity, dealing with imagination, the human potential is infinite. So there's no reason to say, I'm drawing a boundary about my around my work. I'm only going to do this much. I'm going to live in this silo. And my work is only going to apply to this. I'm only going to work nine to five. And I'm going to have no passion after 30 years, you know. If you believe that creativity is infinite, that imagination is infinite, start translating that into the workplace and the workplace attitude. It does come into people performing better at their job and essentially every staff person, without even realizing it, becomes superhuman.
2: So part of this is it Jim t- started with the, the idea that I feel good about myself when I come to work. Yeah. A- and what I hear you saying is you have a view of your staff as highly competent Mm -hmm. everyone has their issues so we're not saying they're superhuman nor the expectation to be without fault Right. but that we are all exceptional and valued and it is through that lens that we use our creativity to solve the challenges external and also interpersonal
4: if you feel exceptional and valued Mm -hmm. Boundaries start to disappear. And the more the boundaries disappear, the more aware you become that you are accepted by the people around you. And that just blossoms and grows and everybody begins to reinforce themselves. Will you still have a little interpersonal problem? Sure. Mm -hmm. Can you overcome them faster because people are respecting each other more? Absolutely. So those little things that might eventually lead to a huge feud and having to fire a couple of people Mm -hmm. end up most of the time, resolving themselves. And that's in the agreements. That's absolutely in the agreements. And again, why ecoconomics just dovetailed so wonderfully with what I was experiencing here at the radio station as I was trying to reinvent how it operated in both the threat of our industry and dealing with a changing Mm -hmm. licensee, a changing bureaucracy around us.
2: So let me summarize this segment because Jim's talked about many people are vibrant who haven't read the book, mm-hmm. th- that these vibrant organizations exist and part of our goal as the Ecosomonomics community and the vibrancy community is really to identify them and connect them as we're doing through yeah. this show. What What are people doing that is already brilliant that we can learn from each other? Yeah. So let's go to break. We'll be back momentarily with Dan Schalco and Jim Richie Dunham.
1: Are you looking
4: to get noticed in today's business world? Listen for Chat with Chickles, what they couldn't teach you in business school. This is the show that will help you survive and thrive in business today. It's what you can do differently that will help you stand apart from everybody else in the field. Lisa Chickles and her guests can show you just how to gain that unique edge. Chat with Chickles can be heard live every Thursday
1: at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel.
4: together in conversations that make a difference right here on the voice america business channel every friday morning at 10 a.m pacific
1: standard time you are listening to innovative leaders driving thriving organizations to reach maureen metcalf or her guest today Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Okay. Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf, joined by Jim Ritchie Dunham and Dan Michelko, sitting in the studio at WCBE, Dan and I, and Jim on the phone. So let's now talk a little bit more about the practical implementation of ecosonomics. And in the intro, Jim talked about the five relationships. So it's my relationship to myself. When I come to work, I feel good with the people I work with. I have a, a positive relationship. And Dana said, that doesn't mean we never disagree, but I feel supported by them. The third is I'm aligned with the mission and the vision of the organization on our purpose and what we're doing. And then I'm gonna use slightly different words than Jim, um, leveraging what Dan talked about, creativity and implementation. So if I come to work and feel like my colleagues don't respect me and my goal is to get not fired, then I'm not gonna be creative. I'm not going to try new things. This isn't going to be a laboratory for learning. I'm going to be head down, following the rules, so Jim said, doing what's in the book, Mm -hmm. rather than using my own imagination to solve the problems our organization faces. And so part of what makes this abundant, in my view, is that when I am fully engaged, I am and all of our team is fully engaged, we've got that much more brain power and arms and legs committed to solving the challenges that we face, again, often external in our community. And we we all know what some of those are. Mm -hmm. And conversely, if we're not doing that, that's what brings about scarcity, that we're almost ignoring that problems exist in that we may talk about them but we're not solving them and implementing the solutions so one of the things and I'll ask Jim to talk about this in his research the idea that we can't work on one or another really all five have to be in place concurrently to create abundance in our organizations so Jim can you elaborate on that Excellent, yes. Uh, and to me,
5: it was wonderful in hearing both of you just now. I'm um, talking about people being engaged
3: and motivated. And I look across what, and I say me and my colleagues, each in you know schools of business administration and public administration, um, and how we think about nonprofits, and is about how do you engage employees and get them motivated. And what we've seen in the last few years is well, actually people are all engaged. People are born engaged, they're motivated. Um, I don't have to get them excited about doing whatever they love to do, they're passionate. People are passionate and creative and engaged. And what we end up doing in our organizations is somehow we end up disengaging them. So maybe what we need to do is not engage and motivate people to be more creative, is we need to stop disengaging them and demotivating them. because they show up every day ready to engage. There are just these huge beams of light emanating all over the place. Their brilliance is all over and then we do what we can to shut it down. And I know this from an example of, you asked people, uh, how come you, you, you shared one idea in our meeting today, how come? They said, well, you know, there wasn't much space to ask or people didn't ask me what I thought. I said, well, how many creative ideas did you have? They said, oh, I noted at least a dozen. I said, then how can they only share one? He said, well, people were talking or they didn't ask or, you know, it, it, I, I, it, there's not a safe place to do that. So the point is that, you know, this creativity is flowing all over the place all the time. And are we working with it or are we disengaging it? And maybe this whole scarcity mindset is disengaging it um, so we don't have to engage them, we just have to stop disengaging them. And so then the question that we started to find in leadership, like Dan, where people are engaged and excited, um, and participating, and it is uh, this rela- this strong relationship of the self. i all of me showing up, and I'm supported in supporting others, and we all bring our contribution to the group,
5: and we're very
3: good in the creative process, and we're very good at the source of creativity. Um, the problem becomes, how are you doing all five of those things at the same time? Because it turns out that a bunch of what has been taught and how to think about leading groups of people communities um, says that one of those five relationships is the most important and the others aren't important. So it's all about the outcomes of the group. So it's all about our radio station. And we go hire people who have a capacity to deliver something for the radio station. But it's all about the group outcomes or in other cultures it's all about being fair and equal and it's all about social justice and that's what's really, really important and it's not so much about the group or the individual or in free market society it's all about the individual making their own decisions and I don't care what others think or the group. So we tend to come at it from you got to do one of these things um, and the others might come along in uh, invisible hands or if you're fair
5: it'll all work mean, um, it doesn't. And I think you're your listeners it can
3: be sort of obvious if I'm not being respected by the others and there is no request or place for my unique voice then the best of me doesn't show up so what we found is it only shows up when all five of those are there so then that's the question you started with how do we um, be a space in our leadership so that all five of those relationships are showing up at the same time because they all have to be there for this to work Or said another way, the groups that we find that do this continuously and consistently, all five of those are there at the same time. And what we find is, is that people aren't trying to do five things. They're not trying to be fair to each other and respectful of the individual, and figuring out how to invite unique contributions, and the creative process, and the source of creativity with five different frameworks. They're just doing one thing. They're listening to that harmonic. They're listening to the vibrancy that's there. And in doing that and paying attention to does this feel more vibrant or not? Are we listening like musicians do? Or are we listening for the harmonic? In doing that, we develop the capacity to listen to my own voice
5: and how I'm resonating
3: with your voice or your instrument and that we're needing all of these instruments to come together for what um, the collective sound, that harmonic, that creative gesture that emerges from all of us through that process of seeing something that we can all start to figure out how to manifest together, like in that orchestra or jazz ensemble. Um, And we can do that because we know that creativity is everywhere. So it's in listening for that one thing, it's paying attention to that vibrancy, and it turns out people have a lot of different ways that we do that, but it's listening for this this other property, this vibrancy or harmonic, through the space of abundance that one's able to do five seemingly separate and independent things that are supposedly impossible to do together, and according to all of our economic theories. Yet people do all the time.
2: So let me shift then to Dan. And what I know about Dan is he's a physicist by training. And so as you're talking about harmonics and sound, we've got a radio station physicist here. <laughs> and I'm wondering... In the practical application of what you do when you show up every day, Mm -hmm. and you've been through vibrancy training, and as have I, what do you do with people? Uh, How do you keep those five relationships in balance as a singular focus? Because I'm imagining like a puppet marionette, right? You're Mm -hmm. not pulling, not tugging on five sets of strings, you're moving the marionette across the stage and it looks like it's walking. Yeah. And That may be a terrible example, but that was the thing that came to mind. Is it five or is it one? Well, I think, I think
4: it's a good metaphor because, and this is where things get radically different over how we're typically trained mm-hmm. to lead and manage a business. I give the strings to the puppet.
2: You do and you don't.
4: Yeah. The big thing is the puppet knows what the play is about. Okay. Puppet knows what character he or she has to be.
2: And when when we say puppet here, we're talking about the radio station, not one human. Right. But the station has a clear vision about what it's here to accomplish. Exactly. And as a public radio station, that has to do with balancing the needs of listeners, and the school district, and and NPR, and their expectations. Right.
4: And, that, and that's where it comes. It, it boils down to, do you, know, do you know what's supposed to happen in the final act mm-hmm. you know, of this little puppet play? Do okay. you know where you're heading, what the goal is? But beyond that, there is the intangible. There is, there's, sure, the practical mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. We have to provide X amount of programming. Um, we have to raise X amount of money to stay on the air. Mm-hmm. But there is also a vibe, a character, a vision that goes with it in our case we are deeply entrenched in community we yeah. see ourselves as a catalyst for community we're not just here to pump sound out to pump out mm-hmm. news and music and all that mm-hmm. to ears we're here to edify our listeners and we're here to keep our community informed and together about so again it becomes the gestalt you know we're we have the ecosonomics at play within WCBE. Mm-hmm. Then we have to look at how we're playing with our bigger bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. But then we're all also consciously aware that we have a role to play in Central Ohio, in Columbus, and Central Ohio as a whole.
2: So, so remembering that we're in a public radio station, yeah. and, and hence the the strong community focus. Yeah,
4: and so we have to. We have a mission in that we can't just be here to survive. Mm-hmm. How bland is that? Why just exist to exist? We have to have a greater purpose. There has to be a higher purpose. And I think that is one one of the pieces of the recipe Mm -hmm. that enables you to do all five acts that Jim is talking about without consciously being aware that you're doing all five. Look at that bigger mission, that bigger purpose, that goal, what it is. That's helping motivate each of your people to coming into mm-hmm. work and bringing that a game, bringing that excitement, bringing their full potential. And it's not going to be to make sure, yeah, in the, in the private sector that the stockholders are getting the biggest bang for their buck, you know, out of mm-hmm. you know the dividends, mm-hmm. or it's but not going to be to make the, the owner richer. Get
2: the biggest impact.
4: Exactly, it gets back to you know in a way it's a glorified version of customer service, but in that regard, it's each individual seeing that everyone around them is a customer.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, so you're giving that service, you're giving that mission, that goal, you're trying to accomplish something for your coworkers, for your boss, for the owners, for who you would formally consider as the customers, mm-hmm. in our case, the listeners. Um, you know, in our case, too, it, that adds on to it. I think it's a natural outgrowth for this to happen in a public broadcaster because we we can't, be like a regular business and only seeing that we have one set of customers.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, we have our broader listeners. Mm-hmm. Say 100,000 people are listeners. But then there's going to be a certain percentage of them who are donors.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Now that's a different kind of customer. So we're not mm-hmm. just there to give them programming, we're also there so that you know, in that particular group, sees an immense value in what we're doing mm-hmm. and so they're taking an extra step, not just living listening, but taking that extra step to keep the station on the air with a financial contribution. But then we have another customer, that's our licensee, our owner the Columbus City Schools. Mm-hmm. So there are things we need to do for them. Um, and it just goes on, cascades from there. As you said, NPR. We then have the bigger customer of all, our industry of public broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what is it that we're doing that maybe can be replicated throughout the system so our vibrancy spreads? you know? And again, the culture of abundance. I don't need to make you know, X million dollars here in Columbus at the expense of another public radio station somewhere else losing any of their money. No, there are plenty of listeners out there for all stations so we can all benefit from learning what's working, we can all raise up together. It is an abundance in our case, and this is typical across public radio, a very small fraction of listeners are donors. Mm-hmm. So, in our case, say six to ten percent, depending on the time of year, mm-hmm. what fund mm-hmm. drive, why would I not have an attitude of abundance? if I only have six to ten percent of my current listeners donating, mm-hmm. that's ninety to ninety four percent more of a pool for donations that I haven't figured out how to tap yet so of course, I'm seeing that there's more out there, there's more we can do mm-hmm. because I also know we have not we haven't even come close to running out of resource i just mm-hmm. don't know how to access it all yet and i haven't figured that out
2: and so very similar then to draw the parallel back to running a business yeah if i run a brick and mortar store i probably have a bunch of people coming in touching my stuff mm-hmm. and then going online and buying it cheaper yeah so so yeah. there there are some commonalities in the changing environment and so i heard a couple of themes and I just want to come back to those. Okay. So as I've listened to you, on, and tying back to the five relationships, you have a high view of your team. Oh, very. You've hired good people, and you see the goodness in the people who are here. Yeah. So you're not a glass half empty, those bunch of losers. Well, that's
4: to, that's where the physics physicist part comes in. To a physicist, the glass is always full. Whether it's water or air, there's always okay. something in there.
2: <laughs> and, and that <laughs> describes you being called polydana. Yes. So <laughs> so that is part of the, the beauty of seeing the goodness in your people, mm-hmm. that they you've assembled a group of people who, because of your positive view in them, their sense of self is probably much better in this ecosystem than it would be someplace else. Yeah. My boss respects me and expects that we all respect and care for each other. That's the standard you set, and you don't deviate from
4: no, it. No, I absolutely don't deviate. I don't always know if the staff is seeing that, if every individual sees it. Yeah, but they do. absolutely, <laughs> every day, I never deviate from my faith in the people I work well, with.
3: Well, you know, this to me, this, this is a great conversation because I, when we end up with idiots in our organizations that are causing those people, that are causing all the problems. Yeah. Who hired, who hired these idiots?
2: <laughs> yeah, we did usually.
3: Right, and it's never the idiot's fault for hiring the idiots, right? So <laughs> we on the board never get fired. It was some other idiot. And then I asked, he said, well, when did that, you're right, that guy's an idiot. Well, when did he become an idiot? Did you hire an idiot? Of course we don't hire idiots. So he became an idiot working here. Yeah. He, well, of course he didn't. I said, but he's leaving as an idiot. So he either started as an idiot or became an idiot.
2: Or you made him worse.
3: Um, right. He said, so, well, no, of course we didn't. I said, well, then he's not an idiot. <laughs> so if, if, we, if we only bring in wonderful people who are really aligned and it's exciting to get to do things with them and see what they're going to contribute to our future with the capacities they bring and what they're going to learn, then why wouldn't we always look at them that way versus we collapse out of that amazingly
2: mm-hmm. and
3: just say, well, did you do your job?
2: And, the, and this is,
3: and, and tell them how bad they are at doing their job, versus the whole excitement of why we hired them in the first.
2: And this is back to your point, Jim, about disengaging people. Right? They they came in as as brilliant, and they came in excited to be here. They thought we were brilliant in many cases, and then we discover that neither of us have that same view of one another. Mm -hmm. Right.
3: And I think what's powerful and what you two are pointing at is if one can realize that when when one is collapsing, because it does happen, I forget Mm -hmm. how brilliant you guys are and why I love you guys so much and why I actually wanted you to be in here in the first place. And I'll forget, you know, I had a bad day or something something distracts me. Um, But then I can remember, like, oh, right. Because at the end of the day, these are all just agreements. There is no law of physics that says how we have to engage as human beings. and that we have to abuse each other all day long. Right. You no, know, because, because we can also treat each other really nice and we also experience that. So if I can remember that it's just an agreement, then we can say, well, you know what? I don't actually choose that agreement. I'll choose a different one. And we can change that instantly.
2: So let's go to a break on that note and come back after and talk in a lot more detail about the agreements we have. Uh, Jim, from a conceptual side, and also from all of the organizations he works with, and Dan talking about the agreements. And we've heard Dan's agreement with himself, how he sees the world, and and we've also heard a bit about how his agreement with the staff and how that expectation permeates the group. So let's talk a little more explicitly then about agreements.
4: The Leadership Hour explores what it takes to become a leader who inspires. Inspirational leaders drive higher creativity, lower turnover, and better quality work. Yet few understand their impact on others. We are blind to what we do and don't do well. Training can help, but only if we know our blind spots. To hear strategies for becoming an inspirational leader, join Christine Cowan-Gascoigne on The Leadership Hour where leadership and inspiration intersect. Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on the
1: Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf with Dan Michalco and Jim Ritchie Dunham. We're talking about Ecosonomics and organizational vibrancy, harmonic vibrancy, specifically as it relates to WCBE, a national public radio station, and the agreements we make with ourselves and one another. And so Dan talked about, as a physicist, my agreement is always the glass is entirely full of something.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> so, so
2: let's talk about the agreements that you have with your staff, with your board, with... How how does that work, and how does that make you vibrant, and how and different from others?
4: That can, on the detail level that can be a little tough because okay. I'm still learning
5: mm-hmm.
4: what the terminology is. Okay. I'm still learning how to see it and break it down into its data components, and okay. that's where you and Jim come in, you know, and reading ecossenomics. But mm-hmm. I'm still getting my mind around that aspect of it, the, the analytics. Okay. Um.
2: And you're more so, analytical than most. So yeah, let's give it so a it's shot. A, whoosh, you know I want to see it in those physical terms. Give me data. Well, but, you've got but, data. But in that
4: regard, I mean that is one of the differences with CBE uh-huh. um, that happens here. When I first started, uh-huh. there was another manager in the public radio system of another radio station who actually did say at one of the meetings, my, one of my first meetings that uh-huh. I attended as a manager of a station. Why on earth would they appoint someone with a science bent to run a radio station? Hmm. It just couldn't understand it, couldn't see it. But I, I do feel that's part of why CBE has survived. It's gone through a lot of rough spots. But I apply both the human emotional element, the warmth, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the analytical science side of things.
2: So give us a like Star Trek analogy because you and Jim are both <laughs> trickies. So let's make this more entertaining. Oh,
4: would be a good one. Okay, a good one would be the original Star Trek episode, "The Devil in the Dark." Okay, that's one where they went to a mining colony because the miners were dying, mm-hmm. basically being burned alive, and it turned mm-hmm. out there was a creature called a horta that was native to the planet, but it was based on it was a silicon-based life form and it ate rocks essentially to get its nutrients these humans come in and they start mining and it's getting in the way and it's it's destroying its children Mm. you know inadvertently the humans are killing the kids they don't Mm -hmm. know what they Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. they don't recognize it and that's the key right there they just went in they didn't recognize what was around them
2: ah okay all
4: right we here at CBE We'll go into a strange environment, let's say the new social media mm-hmm. environment is mm-hmm. coming out, you know, mm-hmm. on-demand media and such, and instead of just reacting and doing things the same old same old and keeping mm-hmm. blinders mm-hmm. on, we're trying to be aware of what is new out here. What new things are we facing? And more critically, instead of reacting to it in fear, and this is where the culture of abundance comes in, mm-hmm. seeing it as another opportunity. How can we how can we welcome this? How can how can it become part of our Federation? Okay. United Federation of Planets, and thus add its distinct now I'm getting into the board, but add its distinctiveness <laughs> to our own. Um, Vulcans have this phrase called it's the IDIC, infinite diversity through infinite combinations. And the key there is infinite. You know, the more opportunities you see, the more people you encounter, the more uniqueness you find, that only adds to your own potential as well. That interaction, that interfacing. There's just so much opportunity out there. Everything is a resource. Every one is another perspective, energy level, uh, another bolstering of where you can go. And so by taking CBE from the typical mindset of a typical radio station of, we have only this demographic of listener we're gonna appeal to, Mm -hmm. we have only this number of staff, And everyone else out there, every other radio station is competition. Flipping that over and saying, why can't everyone want to be a listener, at least sometimes?
2: At least sometimes, right? I don't have to give up my whatever other station. Right.
4: Why not take some of the people who are passionate about the station, even if we can't hire them? Can we involve them as volunteers somehow so that, again, our community, our family is growing? And then going beyond that into why can't other radio stations get along? let's combine forces let's work together let's share best practices and raise up the whole industry so that our community our nation the world are getting better in the process
2: so this is the Federation of Planets yeah and Jim (laughs) I'm going to throw this back to you because we've talked about increasing the vibrancy of the planet right right
3: and I think the trick is what Dan was just pointing at is How do you you shift it so that everybody everywhere, every day, gets to have the experience of being seen? Or the engagement that they do bring, the creativity that they do bring um, in relationship with other human beings. as we all interact together. How does that happen? And one of the tricks that we're finding in observing groups that are doing this well and trying it off for our own in our own project is the difference between agreements that are sort of obvious and seen and the ones that are using a term of sociology, socially embedded. Now it turns out, like Dan said, when we first came back, is um, a lot of these agreements are hard to see because they're, the technical term, socially embedded in and that's another agreement that I accept. So if I accept that there are scarce resources in the world that are either capital or land or labor, Um, I've accepted a whole bunch of other assumptions. And if I accept that the capitalist is the one that makes the most difference, because that's what I was told, versus land and labor, you just pay rent for your land and um, and wages for your labor, then the capital is what makes the difference. And therefore, they're the ones who make the decisions, and therefore it's their criteria that influence how we make the decisions. And then we organize ourselves around the criteria for maximizing the value for the capitalist. But wait a second, that's how we organized around what values and who decide were embedded in an, an early assumption. And so part of what sociology and economics have been trying to untangle over the last decades is what are all these different agreements that we've accepted somewhere along that way, and are we making those decisions consciously, accepting those consciously, or are we unconsciously accepting them? And so some of them are easy to see and others they're not. Um, and I, the, the four big categories of ones that aren't seen so easily is when you look into the world, and then we can hear this and what Dan was just hearing. When you look into the world of your work, how, how much resource do you see? Do you see infinite potential because the glass is always full of something? There are all kinds of really creative people around me. And now it's just a question of how do we want to engage? Well then we, so that's a resource or an economic question then there's another lens of what we call the political lens of who decides and enforces the decisions of And there's an embedded assumption in the economic model of who gets decided for the whole or for the individual or out of freedom or fairness or out of the creative process versus saying, well, it depends who decides. If it's Dan for himself, he decides. If it's a fairness issue, then we decide. If it's for the whole, then, you know, we invite in and we decide. Um, as a group, not as the, the pair. So in each of these, it depends. Um, and so we can, but we can see that from abundance, well, it depends versus it's embedded for us. The, the, the cultural question that comes is well, then what criteria do we use for making that decision? And we can say, well, we actually get to choose the values that influence our decision making and enforcement around how we utilize and engage with these resources. And then the fourth question is our big social question of what are the rules of the game for how are we choosing to play together mm-hmm. with these values around the, who makes the decisions for, with these resources that we have. So there are four completely different lenses, the economic, political, cultural, and social, on seeing what agreements we're accepting or consciously making when we look at what are the rules of the game or what values we use in making decisions with the resources that we have.
4: And that's, that's I where mean, that most
3: of those are embedded, and we don't make those explicit. Yeah.
2: S- so, Dan, why don't you make a final comment, and then we're coming to a close, so I need to okay. wrap us up.
4: Well, and that's why I was just going to take it back to that Star Trek episode, Devil in the Dark, dovetails perfectly with what Jim was just saying. And just to wrap it up, what happens in the end is once they recognize each other, the Horda and the humans, and they come to their agreements, it ends up being this hugely successful mining colony. And so it's a wonderful metaphor for everything Jim just said.
2: And through all four lenses.
4: Through all four lenses.
2: So Jim, I want to make sure that you share the the URL for people to take the vibrancy survey.
3: Excellent. So everybody's welcome to take the vibrancy survey. It's free. It's online. Um, and it gives you an automatic kick out for the results for yourself. And if you'd like to do work with a group um, we can also share with you the group results. All you have to do is go to the Institute for Strategic Clarity dot org. Well, one word, Institute for Strategic Clarity dot org, and you'll see survey or Institute for Strategic Clarity, um, take the survey. And from there you'll be able to get it. It's available in a dozen languages and the results are free online and automatic
2: for you. And that adds you to the research database that allows us to have a clearer picture of who are the most vibrant organizations across the planet. Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly. And that's how I found you a few
5: years ago.
2: <laughs> it is <laughs> Thank you very much both Dan and Jim for sharing the the wealth of your life's work in your research and your application of physics in the <laughs> world. <laughs> and for the opportunity for the wonderful privilege of working directly with both of you for a number of years now it's it's i'm delighted to get to share what we collectively are doing with our listeners with the idea that as we navigate the challenges we have the opportunity to create a world that is more vibrant to create experiences for our colleagues for our customers for our listeners for our stockholders and Mm -hmm. stakeholders that are positive and we can all navigate the changes and challenges we're facing in a way that creates results that we never imagined possible. So thank you for joining Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Thank you.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week.